Welcome to part two of Superthank, a joint for Black Portland. Superthank is a Portland nonprofit promoting a million acts of radical community gratitude. The following stories of gratitude were told at an event on September 26th at Pensole Footwear Design Academy in Portland. Here's Rukiah Adams, who organized and emceed the event. So tonight we are, I'm a Portland native, and I want to give a shout, we out here, right? We out here. Right, people are always trying to tell us we're not here. They're trying to erase us right in front of our own eyes. Yo, no, we're here. So this is an attempt to unerase ourselves, to hear our stories of gratitude where we're the protagonist. We're not just side parts in a story. We're here. We have to be reflected. Big props to the Super Thank team for working with us. Historically, we know that Super Thank was intended to thank the unthanked. My view was that Black Portland is unthanked. It's underthanked. We came here and contributed toward the economy during the Industrial Revolution. We've been very productive citizens in this town. We planted cherry blossoms that bloom in the spring. We've contributed to this town, so I wanted us to be able to, to thank um, people in the community and, and, and the community as a whole. By engineering the catalytic meeting of Black Girl Magic and Black Boy Joy, I hope that we can talk directly to each other in these stories and not have the filter of other people telling us what the story is, but for us to, to talk directly with one another. Our next storyteller, Executive Director of the Black Educational Achievement Movement, passionate about providing access, resources, advocacy, and support for youth and their families who are at risk of falling through the cracks in our broken educational system. As a lifelong resident of Northeast Portland, she wants to ensure that black and biracial students of African descent have access to quality, high quality, culturally specific educational opportunities that help them seek their internal worthiness and excellence. Welcome, Noni Kazi. Yeah. Thank you everybody. Thank you for Rakaya and everybody. I've taken a deep breath. Breathe, get my whole life down. All right, here we go. So it was funny, Rikai talked about um, a brother. I have three, bro three older brothers. I have four sons, I have four grandsons, right? So when I was coming up, my brothers were a lot older. And as a kid, there's always resilience, right? And I didn't even know I had a name. I didn't have a name until I went to school. I was girl, girl, that girl's doing this. Tell the girl to go home. And then I was David's sister, Dale's sister, Alonzo's sister, and I, Finally got to school and I realized that I had a name. So I was really glad to go to school, right? And I was really happy and I lived in the same house that I live in now um, around the corner. I live in a big purple Barney house over on Cleveland and Mason and I loved my neighborhood. I loved it when I was a kid. Um, we played kickball outside and it, we just had tons of fun. There was kids everywhere. And I always felt safe and guarded and um, I remember my Uncle John across the street would whistle when the lights came on. And you could hear kids for four blocks, Gail, your daddy calling you. And we'd all run home, you know. So it was really cool. And um, I went to Humboldt, and I loved um, my little school, Humboldt and King. And, um, you know, it was a happy time. And then one year was the fifth grade. And uh, we left school like any other time. And I remember, you know, when you're a kid, nobody tells you nothing. I hate that. 
And uh, all I knew is that I was going to a better school, right, to get a better education. And uh, so in fall, we head off and we go to, back to Humboldt. But this time, there are buses, and there's buses everywhere. And there's all these black kids, and we're all lined up. And you get on the bus, right? And you don't know where you're going, and these buses take off. And it felt like 20 stops, I swear. But as kids got on, they all looked like me. But when we got off, oh my goodness. I'd never seen so many white people in my life, right? So I went to school that was Humboldt, that was like 99.2% black, and then I went to Chapman, and it was all white. Except for the kids that rode on the bus, right? And I'm gonna tell you, when you're in sixth grade and you don't have words for what racism is, it's an awful feeling. It's an awful feeling when people touch your skin and think it's gonna rub off, or you're an A student, because I talked a lot then too. I was an A student, and then I got there, and then we were in this slow class, and I didn't understand why. And uh, all I knew was I was mad, and I was hurt, and I had a friend who Kelly, Julie, and Amanda, and Kelly looked like a little white rabbit. <laughs> she was really white, and she had like blonde hair with pink eyes and Bucky D or teeth. And she, I just wanted to poke her, because she looked like a rabbit. Um, but Kelly got um, a birthday invitation to Amanda's party, and Julie got one, but I didn't get one. And I'll never forget when they came back that Monday because I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And I had this hole inside of my gut, and it was the biggest hole that said I wasn't good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, my hair wasn't blonde enough. Um, it just was never enough. And so I remember like fighting, like just being angry, and not even knowing why, because the teachers were mean, but you don't know why, you know, and people don't want to play with you, and you don't know why. And so um, it just started this dis-ease so deep inside of me that nothing could touch it. And I knew if I hit somebody, they take me to the office. And when I went to the office, my daddy was coming to get me. Yeah. And here came the green station wagon. <laughs> and I'm going home. Because I'm going home where people look like me and they care about me. I loved my community then. And I love the community I create today. And... Um, so that went on, and finally I remember leaving in the eighth grade because I couldn't do it no more. Like, nothing helped. And it wasn't, the, the hole kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it was time to eighth grade. I was done, checked out, and I found drugs and alcohol, and it made me feel so much better. And I didn't give a dang what they thought about me, right? So that long period of time, I tried many things. I switched jobs, I got married, I had children, bought homes, had cars, bigger cars, bigger houses, and nothing happened. And at the end of that, um, I had four children, four sons. Um, and I'll never forget the day that um, I was leaving. I had a 10-year-old and a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a baby. And he was like, Mom, take these kids with you because you're not coming back. And I remember at that time feeling like, um, Creator, get me clean or let me die, because I can't do this anymore. I kept trying to fill up that hole. And so, um, you know, did the little prayers, angels came down, boop, I'm clean, right? And it was a wonderful thing, but I got clean, um, and I bought into that lie that it's better over there. So I was over there and clean. And um, guess what? I got clean, and it was a whole bunch of white women. I was like, damn. Just can't get away, right? You know, but the difference here, um, the difference 
is these women taught me something different. They taught me how to stay clean. They taught me how to camp. And they taught my kids how to swim like a fish. And they'd say, if you want to do what, if you want what we have, you'll do what we do. <laughs> so they were staying clean. I wanted to stay clean. So they went um, to the river every day in the sun. Black people don't like to lay in the sun and to suntan. I have a God-given tan, right? So they would be sunbathing, and I'd have the towel over my head, and I'd be like, damn, I'll be glad when this day is over, right? But I did it for a long time, and I, stayed, I got clean for my kids, and I got to stay clean for me. And that was 28 years ago, and about maybe 10 years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but about 10 years into that, um, am I at my two minutes yet? Because I'm going to hyperventilate. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Like I said, about into the 10th year, something happened for me. And it was some women that came and they said, Noni, like we love you and you need to come home because you've been living out here a long time and you know how to stay clean. But we need you back here because your work is not done. So we packed up and we moved back to our community. And I moved back into the house that I currently live in now that I was at when I was three. And uh, my thank you comes out to my community. The black women and men that loved me unconditionally and encouraged me to go back to school, to get a degree, to work with young people in our neighborhood so they never have to feel this ache. We started a Black Student Success Summit in uh, 2014. We started with 125 kids, and people said, you'll never get people to do this, right? And I put the back call out to education, and Lakita and so many others showed up that day for our young people and said, we're not going to talk about you no more. We're going to talk to you. We're going to talk to you, and we're going to love you, because you don't have to have that ache anymore. Like, we got your backs. And every year I put a call out, and I don't know, this last year we had over 600 black high school and college students throughout the state of Oregon that came together. And I see people here that were there and their parents, and we got to love on one another, and we got to show our young people people that look just like them, that are professional, that are doing things, that are having things, that are creating wealth, that are making changes in their community. And I was so proud, because I don't know 80% of the people that show up. But they show up because we put out a call. And so for that, I wanted to come. I wanted to say thank you to my community that let me know that I'm a black woman and I belong here. Yeah that I'm a black woman that lives in Northeast Portland. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to be in that purple Barney house. Yes. And that together, we come together, and our community may not all live in that two-mile by four-mile block anymore, but when we send out our black signals and our calls, we show up for one another, and for that, I'm eternally grateful. Thank you. Grace Andrews. Grace is an avid storyteller. Whether she's good at it, it's for you to decide. 
Um, by day, she works as a sales engineer, and by night, she's out walking the trails with her faithful critter, Athena, beautiful little dog. Grace tries to write as often as possible. She's passionate about people with an undeniable allegiance to native and indigenous peoples and animals. She helps to use technology as a tool for social change. Currently, she's working on finding an unstoppable supply of black girl magic. If you have a supplier, let her know. Grace Andrews. Hi. Some of you may see me, see my face, and think you have a sense of the person you know as Grace. But who I am is so greatly shaped by people like the person I'm about to think. This human is exceptional, so much so that normal prose would not do. So instead, I sought to give you the kind of flow that only our people know, a little spoken word, Def Jam style, to make this gratitude story worth your while. Before my reveal, I wanna share a story or two about this melanated dude. This person is sublime, peak black at all times, down with the brown, not only in word, but in action. I'm not sure if he has moves like M. Jackson, but when you see him around town, he not playing around, he's on that hustle and that grind. He's devoted his time to making sure that our community does not remain underappreciated or overlooked. He's worked with everybody from city government to your neighborhood cook. He got mad folks on his Rolodex, like governors and mayors and homies at Nike Town. This man I speak of is one of integrity. Walk into any business of color and say his name and watch all the praise rain down his way. He's a smooth operator, a one-in-a-kind collaborator, and his kicks are as sick as his classic whip. More importantly, he's got a heart of gold instead of a demeanor grown cold from having to continuously remind others of the presence of black and brown skin in the community we live in. You see, this person I want to thank has always believed in me, kind of like that Whitney and Mariah melody where they sang about the miracles that happen when you believe. This man has walked his talk instead of backing into a corner to sulk. When people have proven to underestimate the black gold that we hold within ourselves, instead he has advocated and congregated around us and lifted us up to survey our promised land. This man has reminded us that yes, we can, even when others have said we cannot. This Hugh man has shown a light upon this community and helped us fight against the cloak of invisibility. This Hugh man, he's the kind of person who holds court in a coffee shop that plays hip hop and serves up coffee in all the hues of our skin. The kind of man who props us up and tells us that there is power in kin. He's the kind of man who's proud of those who lift themselves up with the power of us who proudly boasts of friends with apps and gives major daps to the ones who design pen souls. He reminds us that there is no me, only the collective we, and there truly is unfathomable power in thee. He's the kind of man who doesn't need to brag because he got that swag that stands on his own. He's the kind of person who cares because we are one. He's the kind of human who knows we need a little black magic just because we about had it. The kind of person who ain't too proud to beg for investment money, so you and I ain't got too honey. Like it's been said, Pitch better have his money. 
His last name may rhyme with me, but he's a man on the scene, sharing our stories and giving us the glory. He's the kind of person who listens to you vent, then asks if you're about to own the self-worth that you currently rent. There's very few people in this community who have not been touched by his ingenuity, his perseverance, and his commitment to the cause. He's, kind of, he's got that kind of audacity that'll make you pause. He has hashtag lifted us up where we belong. It's due time we raise him up and sing his song. There's more that could be said about the person he is, a family man, a businessman, a human, but most of all, He's a friend. Let's hear it for a gratitude so supreme that it could only be directed at the one and only Stephen Green. Running the anchor leg of our storytelling hours, Trisha Tillman. Uh, Ms. Tillman's goals throughout her career have been to promote highly qualified, a highly qualified diverse workforce, to engage communities in exper experiencing disparities in promoting health, and to reduce social inequities. She's a soldier. I mean, there's no other way to put it. She's a graduate of Boston University of Public Health, a recipient of the Dr. Martin Luther King Fellowship. Ms. Tillman has worked and volunteered for over two decades in healthcare settings, community service organizations, and local and state governments in Arizona, Massachusetts, Oregon. Uh, on and on and on to improve the health and well-being of culturally diverse communities. Ms. Tillman is the proud mother, mother figure, godmother, mentor. She does all of that. She's a homegirl, a roll dog, a drinking buddy, a running buddy, all those things to me. She enjoys running, skiing, traveling, dancing, even salsa dancing. Trisha, will you come up and close out the storytelling hour with your story of gratitude? Makaya, thank you. Um, today was a really hard day for me, um, so I'm just going to try and hold it all together and be here with you. Thank you. I know, but it's, I want to be the like crying, sobbing, talking person. Um, so uh, I don't know if folks know who I am or not. Um, up until recently, I was employed by Multnomah County Health Department. Um, sort of walking a thin line here, so I'm not going to talk really about my experience at Multnomah County. Uh, you can read it all in the Portland Tribune. They're, they're doing a pretty good job. Um, but over the past uh, month or so, I um, experienced probably the biggest challenge of my life. Um, labor doesn't compare to this. Um, losing my father um, doesn't compare to this. It's been a extraordinary challenge for me over the past month or so um, and I'm not going to talk about it but what I'm going to talk about is just the gratitude that I feel for the way that the community has come around me over the past month. So um, August 18th was when I was told that I would no longer um, have a job and since then um, folks have been helping uh, talk to me, strategize, pray for me, do a lot of things to support me. And on uh, September 14th, I believe, there was a public hearing. And I wasn't there. I couldn't be there. I was at the doctor's office with my mom, who has stage four lung cancer. She's been fighting it for eight years. They only give you a prognosis for five years when you have lung cancer. You don't survive lung cancer. 
Um, and I was sitting in the doctor's office with my mom, um, and people were texting me what was happening at this public hearing. And I realized in this hearing, at, as I was sitting at the doctor's office and people were at this hearing testifying on my behalf and talking about their experience of institutional racism, that the community was strong when my strength was not enough. And I had never in my adult life had that experience of somebody else being strong for me when I couldn't be strong. So in that moment, all of a sudden, I started thinking, oh my god, this is like that YouTube video, The Battle at Kruger. And I don't know how many people know that, but the story is these water buffalo are walking across the plains in South Africa. Someone's videotaping this, right? They're like on a safari or something. They're videotaping it. And they see these lionesses crouching. And the, the pack of water buffalo are just sort of loosely organized, wandering across the plain. And the lionesses, they're ready to go. And the leader of the water buffalo sees them and turns and starts running. But the lionesses have pounced. They're on the attack. And they pick off one of the water buffalo and drag it into the water. People remember this? Have anyone here heard this, right? They pick off the water buffalo and drag it into the water. And the, the videographers are like, oh my god. You know, they're British or something. You know, they're um, watching this. And they're seeing this um, water buffalo in the water. And then slowly up comes a crocodile. So now the story is about this water buffalo being attacked by both lions and a crocodile. And the story becomes, who's going to eat this water buffalo for lunch? Right? Who's going to win? Well, the lions win, right? They pull the water buffalo out of the water. But pretty soon, the videographers have to pull back the frame of the video because what they realize is the herd came back. The herd came back for this water buffalo. And no longer were they sort of relaxed and meandering across the plains. They were tight. They were organized. They looked like one giant buffalo. And they were making all this noise to intimidate the lions and then pretty soon the strongest ones start threatening and attacking the lions and they jump out and they one of them actually attacks one of the lionesses and she goes flying and then he chases her off and then slowly these other leaders step out and they chase off all the other lionesses until finally they can absorb that attacked buffalo back into the herd. And then they chase off the rest of them and that's the end of the video. So I'm sitting there in this doctor's office thinking, oh my god, this is what's happening. This is what's happening to me. And so as I was thinking, because Rakaya said to me, do you want to? And I said yes. She didn't finish her sentence. I didn't it could have been anything, right? <laughs> of course, of course, I'll do anything, right? Um, but when she asked me to come and talk about gratitude, I was like, of course, of course I'll come and talk about gratitude because one, I was so grateful to be part of this herd, part of this community, part of the black community in Portland, to be there when everything's chill, right? Like tonight or like... Um, 
you know, the Soul Stroll or the MLK Run or at Soleil's, just to be a part of a community where you're not questioned and doubted and second-guessed, where you can contribute and people love you and accept you. So just grateful to be part of a community in Portland, especially since I grew up across the way from Bridal Mile. So Black Girl in Suburbia, that was, I don't take it for granted. Um, I'm so thankful for the leaders the people who organized, like Rukaya, like Avail Gordley, like Margaret Carter, like Ron Herndon, like Joyce Harris, they had knew that this was possible. They saw it coming before I saw it coming. They knew that as a black woman in leadership, your time in leadership is limited and the attack will come. And they prepared me and then they organized. And the organizing to me looked like the Underground Railroad, right? Like 21st century Underground Railroad, no kidding. Like stuff was happening at the wedding, you know, like Converse, come on, Trisha, let, let me talk to you. I need to talk to you. Like people pulling me in the line for the drinks, you know, conversations here. Tonight at the Urban League dinner, people, you know, it's happening. The community is organizing. And I am so grateful that people took time out of their daily life to organize and strategize for me. For me. And then there were the people who just made a lot of noise, right? Like that herd, they were so noisy, letting the lionesses know, we are here. This is not okay. We will stand up for our own. So people were all over Facebook and making phone calls and ta you know, calling on their connections and organizing other people and getting people to come out. But there were the people who came to that public hearing that I could not be at and told their own excruciating stories of how they have endured racism, both active, overt, and insidious and covert. They told their stories, they put themselves on the line, and that validated me so that I wasn't just out there on my own saying, oh yeah, this is my story, and they could say, no, 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 no. You must be mistaken, how do you know? That's what happens. So the people who told their stories put themselves on the line for me. But I'd say the two things that I'm the most grateful for is one, after that attack on that buffalo and the lions were gone, the herd welcomed that buffalo back in and it disappeared into the herd. And all I can imagine is all the love and the care and the support that helped that buffalo heal. And to me, as I think about all the love, the prayers, the food, the drinks, thank God for the drinks, thank God. <laughs> that has just come around me. It leaves so little room in my heart for anger and for negativity because there's, I, there's just no room. There is no room. And the last thing I think and the most important thing for all of us was to witness this coming together of our black community in Portland. And we do talk about insiders and outsiders and long timers and Grant and Jefferson and Benson and like all this division, right, hey? <laughs> we talk about all the division, but this community united. They came together because our 
Our identity, our security is threatened. When one of us is threatened, we're all threatened. And to be able to witness that firsthand, to me, was the biggest gift for which I am the most grateful of all. Because at the end of the day, what's happening to me is not about me. It never was, it is not now, and it never will be just about any one of us. It's really about our whole community, the safety, security, and the ability of our community to thrive. So for that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you. I love Black Portland. I love us. I do. So one last shout. I also want to thank the Super Thank team. All of them are volunteers. The lighting, the sound, the recording, the planning, the music, it's all volunteer work. So thank you to all those people. During the, for the next hour, we're going to hear music from DJ Cliff. Is he here? He is. Hey, Cliff, I didn't see you sneaking in here. He's going to do our last thank. It will be a musical thank to OG1, who is a longtime member of the black community. So if you if you have time, hang around the hoop and listen to some music. So from here, we hand it off to you, Cliff. 